Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, November 4th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as rural hospitals continue to face financial challenges, the Hospital Association is pushing for sustainable solutions. Then the state's average ACTS, or A of the rather ACT scores, took a dip in 2022. Plus how a federal law can help pets and other animals during periods of emergency. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hospitals in rural Mississippi are facing economic hardships, and several major health care providers are discontinuing some essential services. The expansion of Medicaid through provisions in the Affordable Care Act has been an available option for years, but state lawmakers have declined to take that route. Hospital leaders say the financial pressures are mounting. Richard Robertson, vice president of policy and state advocacy at the Mississippi Hospital Association, shares more with our Kobe Vance. The challenge that we have in the Delta and really across the state of Mississippi right now and, and to some extent across the country is, is a revenue challenge. Um, our cost in hospitals has gone up exponentially over the last few years in particular, And that's been exacerbated by, you know, the increased cost of labor um, primarily, but also inflationary cost in food and supplies and equipment and things that everyone is experiencing right now as well, not just hospitals. And so that additional cost um, has created some unique challenges, but we were already prior to the pandemic in Mississippi um, short on revenue. and particularly in Greenville and in Greenwood, the um, the revenue situation because of the payer mix in the Delta is just very challenging. Um, most of the the payments come from Medicare and Medicaid uh, for Greenwood, and so those payers typically pay right at or right below your cost, and that's not going to be a very good. Um, revenue stream if your costs are going way up and those payments don't increase accordingly and those payments have not gone up in the same manner that their cost has. What does this mean for hospitals? Um, Are they able to maintain their operations with these low incomes? 
Well, what you're seeing across the state is um, you're seeing hospitals start to cut back on services and start to consolidate um, resources as best they can to keep the doors open. So in Greenville and Greenwood, they've both cut back on um, you know, on services and closed parts of the hospital because they can't afford to keep them open from a staffing perspective uh, because the revenue's not there to cover the, the staffing. And then in some cases, we've seen places in Jackson, like Merritt Central, close the Bird Center, and that's a huge impact as well. I wanted to get your thoughts on what that means for people who live in those areas that now don't have those services and are also you know, burn victims in Mississippi who might have to travel out of state or go to hospitals with it without that specialty care. Yeah, so um, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for those patients who need those services, and it's going to be a challenge for those communities to be able to get those services back once they're gone. Um, that's the that's the the dire circumstances that we're facing in many parts of the state. Because when those services go away, they don't easily come back um, because the, the physicians and the nurses and the staff that were providing those services seek jobs elsewhere. When there's jobs no longer available to provide those services in those communities, then they're going to go somewhere else to, to find, find a job. And, um, and they're not as uh, quickly able to to come back to those communities once they've once they've left, and so then you've got to go through a process of recruiting additional healthcare providers to to provide those services if you decide to bring them back to the community. So you're much better off not losing them in the first place um, because it's much harder to get them back once they're gone. I also wanted to talk about the economic impacts this could have. The governor called a special session that addressed. 1,000 jobs that are going to be popping up in the Golden Triangle here in Mississippi. But many of these hospitals are also massive employers. Um, what could happen if a hospital closes and looking at the economic impacts of, you know, not just to the people who work there, but the communities surrounding them? Well, what we typically see when hospitals close or health facilities aren't available in certain communities is it makes it very challenging for industry to locate there. Um, or for industry to remain there if those healthcare resources aren't available. So, you know, the concern is simply that in those healthcare deserts um, or hospital deserts across the state and across the country, you're typically not going to find robust local economies because healthcare is a huge component of a local economy. It, it's what helps when there are workplace injuries. It's also what is essential to keep a healthy workforce in place. And without a healthy workforce, um, you really don't have a, have a strong workforce. What do you think are some solutions Mississippi could approach to be able to <clears throat> either maintain the hospitals that are there or even invest into expanding the hospitals and making sure Mississippians have that coverage they need in their areas? Well, our, our hospitals have been changing over the last 10 to 15 years to provide more services on an outpatient basis. So certainly that's already been going on for the last 10 to 15 years as as technology and advances in medicine um, change. And so our hospitals have changed the business model from a 
very heavy focus on inpatient services to a very heavy focus on outpatient services. However, the reality is there are still patients who need inpatient care, whether it's labor and delivery services or um, services that are received for for accidents or injuries, uh, pneumonia, flu, all those things that people end up in the hospital for, um, and and all those things that we are as a state very um, very prevalent for heart attack, hypertension, stroke, diabetes, all those all those health diseases that require at sometimes hospitalizations, and so. The, the challenge is going to be, going forward, can we provide the resources and the, the revenue streams to cover those costs for all healthcare services, not just the hospital services, but for all healthcare providers? We're already in a state that's low on the number of physicians, we're low on the number of nurses, and we're high on all the things that you don't want to be high on for healthcare. And so, the challenge is really simply how can we maintain the revenue to afford to pay for physicians and nurses and other health care services to be provided in Mississippi. And we've got options on the table such as uh, looking at additional federal programs uh, within the Medicaid program to either expand access to care through expanding Medicaid or through creating new payment methodologies and new payment streams that the federal government can provide to just simply increase the payments and increase revenue. Or we can just increase what we pay um, under the state Medicaid program. We can also look at reforms in our insurance requirements regarding what insurance companies and how they, how they pay claims. Um, some records that just have come out over the last um, last few days show record profits for insurance companies and record losses for hospitals, and that's probably probably not moving it in the right direction. Richard Robertson is Vice President of Policy and State Advocacy at the Mississippi Hospital Association. Richard, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Kobe. I appreciate it. Coming up, a look at the latest statewide ACT scores and what it says about college readiness. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Every year, Mississippi's high school juniors take the ACT. The scores from these standardized tests go a long way in determining college admission and scholarship awards. This year, the average score was two points below the national average. Brandy Lindell is with the Get to College program, a division of the Woodward Hines Educational Foundation. She breaks down the test and the latest scores with MPB's Lacey Alexander. The ACT is a standardized test that um, is created so that all students can be 
put on the same academic level. That is the reason for the test. It is um, because so many different uh, high schools across the country have different curriculum rigor, and it is supposed to put all students on a level playing field. Um, it's important because colleges use the ACT um, to not only make college admission decisions, but more importantly in Mississippi uh, to award scholarship dollars. There's also a ACT requirement for a uh, state-funded uh, grant in Mississippi for our most neediest of students. And so that's why the ACT is important, um, is because it, in many ways, um, uh, gives students the opportunity to get into college, but then also to help pay for college. The NDE recently released uh, averages for juniors taking the ACT, I believe, of spring of this year. Um, do you think our state, that get when giving the test to all of those juniors, do you feel like every junior taking the ACT affects the state average at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's just really um, the law of averages. The more students uh, are included in the sample, the greater the chance of, you know, it, you know, going down or, um, so what I see that, however, is not really about, you know, what will happen to our state average, but it's really about giving every single student the opportunity to take the ACT in a school day test. That basically means that they are not having to find transportation to a Saturday national ACT test, it's provided during the school day at their own high school where they are provided transportation either through bus or uh, walking or, or their parents, you know, provide the, the transportation. And so the likelihood of more students having that access to college admission and scholarship dollars is greater by the fact that Mississippi pays for their students to take the ACT. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the average shared by the MDE was 17.4. Um, tell me how you react to that number. Is that score high enough for students to get into school? Um, what does that number say to you about uh, how our Mississippi juniors are performing on this test? Well, they're not meeting the national average, and they're not meeting the benchmarks on average. Um, that is a, a slight decline from recent years. Um, I think that a lot of that is because of the pandemic and so many of our schools in Mississippi as well as nationwide, our students truly suffered by not going to school every day or having to rely on virtual uh, uh, instruction or you know, just frankly not having the bandwidth or, you know, the internet access or the Wi-Fi or, you know, the the laptops or Chromebooks. And so I think that what we're seeing is we are seeing a, um, a, a wave of 
finishing the pandemic and it affecting some students in their academic um, pursuits. And so, you know, I, I do think, though, um, one thing that Mississippi does have going for it is that all the students at the junior level take it. I think that, you know, now it's part of the um, high school accountability model. Students can use the ACT, for example, if, if they do not pass the history state test, they can take the ACT and if they make a certain composite score. So, you know, I think what it's really about is making sure that all of our students have equal opportunity to not only, you know, finish high school, get a good education, a good foundation so that they can pursue their post-secondary opportunities. When students or parents come to your organization with concerns over low ACT scores, what is your advice typically to them? Statistics show nationwide that the more rigorous a high school program, curriculum, a student takes, the better on the ACT they do. It is a reading comprehension test. Uh, Even the math section is word problems. So the better a student reads and interprets the information, the better they're going to do on the ACT. And so it's really about helping them understand how the test asks the questions, what they are going to be tested on, and also about time management. They need to have a strategy where they're able to answer the most amount of questions correctly in a certain amount of time. And so it's also about practice. We tell students to practice taking the ACT. It's really about um, them becoming comfortable taking the test, them becoming um, aware of how the process goes and, and what they are going to be tested on, but then also how to take the test. There's opportunity in Mississippi for improvement on the ACT. Um, It's just really about letting everyone understand why it's important and how they can improve their scores, why they should improve their scores. And then also it's about supporting high schools, educators, teachers, administrators, counselors, on how they can better support their students within the school day. All right. Well, Brandy Lindell, Director of Gear Up Outreach, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today. Thank you. Coming up, how a federal law can help pets and other animals during periods of emergency. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Animal wellness is sometimes an afterthought when emergencies arise. Disasters can misplace whole communities, and that can include pets and livestock. 
This year, Congress passed the Planning for Animal Wellness, or PAW Act, which authorizes the Federal Emergency Management Agency to create a set of best practices. Brene Riggins is the manager of federal legislation with the American Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. She explains the new law with our Rhonda Dunaway. It specifically directs the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, to establish a working group, and that working group would review current best practices for animals in emergencies and natural disasters. And then, if necessary, that working group would offer new guidance. And that group would consist of experts from a wide array of backgrounds. So it it would include experts from state and local government agencies, um, experts from animal emergency management, um, experts from academia and the nonprofit world, veterinarians. And um, because that working group would have experts from various states, it creates an opportunity for a discussion about addressing the unique needs of each region of the United States. So, for example, you would have experts from the Midwest who could provide effective guidance on addressing tornadoes. And then you can have experts from um, the West Coast that would provide effective guidance for addressing wildfires and then folks from the Southeast who address hurricanes and floods. So all of these experts would come together to ensure that best practices for animals, uh, pets, companion animals, service animals, um, uh, making sure that those best practices are in place and that they're strong and effective. So if I'm a pet owner who needs to evacuate to higher ground and I'm in Mississippi, um, where do I get, who do I contact? Um, how does a person plan or who do they contact um, for planning for their own animals? Yeah, that's actually a really great question. Um, of course, preparation before the disaster hits is always a really smart thing to do. Um, there are certain things that pet owners can absolutely do to prepare ahead of time, and um, some of that can include creating their own disaster plans with, let's say, emergency toolkits, um, and that can include things like uh, food and water, food bowls and water bowls, making sure that your, your vet records are in, included, uh, your animal's medications. It can include blankets and flashlights, first, first aid supplies things of that nature. Uh, Pet owners can also consider designating a caregiver in the event that they're unable to take their pets wherever they're going. The unfortunate reality is that um, in a lot of cases, pet-friendly accommodations are really hard to come by. So having a plan in place on where your pet can go is really important. Um, You know, and sometimes there, there is no alternative to sheltering in place. So if that is the case, pet owners can come up with in home plans to say, well, if I'm going to shelter in place, I'm going to make sure that I know where the safest place in my house is to stay away from, you know, potential danger like debris flying into the window or um, finding the highest point within your home. If you live in an area that's prone to flooding, um, making sure that your pet is microchipped, making sure that your pet has um, ID tags and that those things are up to date with information. Um, And there's a lot of information on that, which uh, you can find at ASPCA.org slash disaster prep. And it gives very nice detailed information about incorporating pets into individual disaster plans. Okay. 
Thank you for that. Um, the ASPCA, I noticed it, uh, we don't we don't have an ASPCA representative in the Mississippi area. Um, so I, I assume people are, like I said, will be directed to uh, FEMA um, for questions about animal planning, uh, planning for animal wellness. Uh, is there anything um, that you would like to add uh, about the PAW Act before I let you go? Yeah, uh, I just want to make a comment about how special and important the bond is between um, us and our furry friends and, our, you know, our winged friends. Animals play a very critical role in our lives, and no one should have to choose between um, evacuating to safety or leaving their pet behind. That, that's an impossible choice. And so uh, this bill, you know, all about emergency planning, kind of uh, takes that very difficult ultimatum out of the hands of the pet owners. And so for that reason, it is incredibly important. Um, um, You know, it's a very important bill, common sense legislation. Thank you so much, Brene Riggins, uh, Manager of Federal Legislation with uh, ASPCA. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for having me, Rhonda. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.